Welcome to Clarified Butter, the podcast about meals, memories, and milk fats. I'm talking today with Corey Robbins. She's a comedian, a pastor, and the Methodist Church, and number seven of ten kids. Is that right? That's right. Uh, so what's that like growing up with that many brothers and sisters? Oh, well, I like to say I don't know anything else. Uh-huh. So it's a... Uh, I always think that question is really funny. Um, I guess it's it's normal. Um, when I think about growing up with such a big family, I think a lot about the ways that that made me who I am in terms of that's why I uh, like to laugh and why I think I'm naturally inclined to try to make other people laugh because I was try- always trying to stand out, mm-hmm. uh, be funnier than my brothers and sisters who are all just insanely hilarious. Um, and the other part... Uh, of even being a pastor, you know, my whole world was the, we didn't really have birthday parties with friends. We just had birthday parties with our siblings. <laughs> and so my yeah. whole worldview was shaped by this cultist social environment mm-hmm. uh, where everyone thought the same. So I think that's how the <laughs> entire universe felt about things and right. whatever they said, whatever they did, 10 people were doing it. Uh-huh. So I trusted it was correct. And they all were like, yeah, God's totally cool. And so <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, and eventually it stuck. Yeah. So. Really drove that point home. Um, what were meals like with like how dinner happened with all those? Are you kids? asking how you feed 10 children with ravenous appetites on a Friday night? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm just one of two. So it's hard. <laughs> and that already seems like a lot. <laughs> well, for a long time, uh, it involved two Bigfoot pizzas from Little Caesars on Friday night. If anybody uh-huh. remembers those. <laughs> They are burned so deeply in my memory mm-hmm. uh, until they stopped being made because I think we were the only family who actually <laughs> bought them. Wait, so what makes a Bigfoot pizza, like, different than, like, a large... Is it, like, an extra large? It or? was three feet long. Oh, whoa. And we had to get two of them. If any, So it was, like, a yard diameter. Yes. <laughs> you need to Google this if you have no recollection <laughs> of it. It is crazy. And we ordered two. Uh-huh. So we always had a little bit left over for breakfast, you know? So were the slices, like, over a foot long? They were chopped into, like, squares. Oh, okay. Uh, so it's, like, the trademark, I guess, of the Bigfoot was that it was square pizzas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on on Sundays, we used to always stop and grab, like, a couple of buckets of chicken from wherever that needed to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, as time went on, and we lived in a really small uh, borough in mm-hmm. a city in Virginia. We lived in Chesapeake and in the small borough of Deep Creek. Okay. Uh, made famous by the folk war legend that George Washington was a surveyor there and stepped into a creek and said, my God, this is a deep creek. <laughs> uh, which I was told in both kindergarten and 12th grade. So <laughs> they really buy into it. Um, but we would stop, you know, and my dad was always in charge of those two nights, like Friday night and Sunday after church. Mm-hmm. Those are my, my dad's meal times. And so I kind of equated those times with like okay now it's dad time because when you have 10 kids uh someone has to uh feed them physically someone has to feed them financially so Mm -hmm. my dad worked two full-time jobs my entire life wow and my mom stayed home Mm -hmm. uh, with us and so there was limited uh time with our dad but it always involved food Mm -hmm. yeah so did for the rest of the week was your mom like cooking for all of y'all? Yeah, when she she had like 
two kids on each leg and one in our arms. And so our meals were typically pretty fast, like uh, Stouffer's lasagna or you know, throw it in the oven. It was pretty quick. Like I feel like there are so many 80s and 90s moms who, you know, just made it work. Right. Uh, and now we kind of have this reversion to like home cooked goodness. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a world that I have encountered as an adult, but right. it was not something that we really lived into day by day. Like it was three cans of ravioli in a bowl, heat it up, eat it for dinner when you get a chance between homework and taking a shower. Uh, and then uh, at holidays, that was when it was like, okay, now this is distinct. Mm-hmm. This is special. This is when you hear the stories of how our grandmother was known in her town as the best baker mm-hmm. and the person who, you know, she was my grand, my grandfather was a coal miner mm-hmm. in West Virginia. Uh, and my grandmother uh, was a depression baby. She had a 10th grade education. My granddad had a sixth grade education. Mm-hmm. And so, but my grandmother had the greenest thumb. <laughs> and so that's what she spent all of her time doing. And we asked my mom, why don't you know how to cook? Why don't you know how to grow things? And she said, you know, every single time I would walk out to string a bean with my parents, they would send me back in the house and tell me to read a book uh-huh. because they knew that education was the only way to like, get out of that life. And yeah. my mom graduated as valedictorian of her high school class oh, wow. and went to college. And she says like, she still remembers that day so vividly because she didn't tell anybody. Oh. And so everyone found out at graduation <laughs> that she was valedictorian. She gave her speech and she got a trophy. And on her way home, she couldn't find it. She was like, did I forget my trophy? And her sister said, no, dad still has it. Oh. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, that's the, I guess, that was the disconnect between the way my grandparents lived and the fact that my mom Mm -hmm. had to make it work. Yeah, I think um, my mom, I mean, it was just two kids. She was a single mom, like, working so it was a similar thing of like always good meals, but there were like certain staples, cheesy potato soup in the winter and grilled chicken Caesar salad in the summer. And it's like the simple things that you just know how to like. And pork chops. Yeah. Always <laughs> pork chops. Yeah. Like just something that you can put in like a crock pot and just like make it happen. Exactly. Um, so like on those holidays where like the big cooking happened, your grandmother would bake something. Is there something that you, like a, you look forward to yes my mom makes the best broccoli casserole uh ever it is it is not fancy but uh you know it's whatever she puts into it now i know i guess it's broccoli and cream of mushroom soup Mm -hmm. and all those good things but we demand it (laughs) and it is always the first thing gone Uh Uh, but that's definitely something broccoli casserole and if it's missing Mm -hmm. there is a mutiny yeah um like what why did you assume you don't want this or why would you ever consider it? So that's definitely everyone's favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think we go to our, our grandmother lives at Lake Gaston and there's kind of a staple there. She makes sausage pinwheels mm-hmm. and she, she makes them like for real. I try to make them with turkey sausage and healthy heart, heart smart bisquick, um, <laughs> but she makes them with like Crisco. Yeah. And they are. Delicious. You make a dough, you smear some sausage, you roll it up, chop it, or cut it into thin slices and bake it. There is nothing better. Gosh. Yeah. That sounds amazing. Um, yeah, at my, at all my family holidays, it's my aunt's deviled eggs. She always has to make at least two plates, probably more, because they're gone immediately. Everyone has like three on a plate. What's her secret ingredient? 
I think they're just really basic deviled eggs. I think it's really mostly mustard and mayonnaise, a little paprika. Like, I I don't know if it's just that as a kid we all liked, all the cousins liked them so much that we, um, now it's like a nostalgic taste. But all the adults seem to, I think she just like knows how to boil an egg. Yeah. <laughs> and then they're always so clean. Like, they're not all like, sh- whenever I make anything with boiled eggs, they the shell comes off and just like shreds exactly the whites and they look awful mm-hmm. and like it doesn't i mean i'll make something and it might taste good but it just doesn't and your yolks are off color yeah because you boiled them too long or something yeah and that, it, the texture isn't quite as creamy it's like something is missing and I, maybe that's your secret is that she just knows how to boil your egg and then the rest just falls into place well, Pinterest has enabled us to all do that now. So. <laughs> all the uh, secrets and hacks. I have such a funny story about deviled eggs. Uh-huh. My husband, Tiagan, loves deviled eggs. Uh-huh. They're his favorite thing whenever he goes home. Um, but well into his adult, his adulthood, uh-huh. he would boil an egg and peel it, open it, and could not for the life of him understand why it didn't taste like his mom's <laughs> deviled eggs. Uh-huh. Uh, you just think... He a just, boiled egg. Yeah, he didn't think, he thought he just was doing it wrong. Um, so that gives you some insight into how many times he actually walked in to appreciate how his mother prepared food. Right? Like, why does it taste so funny? And why are there no green things in it? Like, you know that has extra things added. I think you need to help enjoy. Yeah. Oh my God. Uh, yeah, so what is that, like, now that you're an adult, do you like to cook? Yeah, so I cook mostly every night for my husband and myself. We uh, we eat pretty healthily because mm-hmm. um, he- cooking clean and eating healthy has been a, a huge part of my journey and my story with food. But uh, yeah, probably five nights a week, we uh, we are obsessed mm-hmm. with Trader Joe's cauliflower rice. Oh. And I buy it in bulk. I have to get there at 8 a.m. in the morning. They only put out 48 bags in the morning. Um, so I have to, like, rush there. I usually typically buy about 15 to 20. And that'll last, like, a good three weeks. Um, so is it cauliflower cut up to, like, look like rice? Yeah, it's grated cauliflower that's frozen. And then uh-huh. you can use it as a rice substitute. So in the week, I'll make, uh, typically I'll make some kind of fried rice. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, an Asian inspired fried rice uh, and typically we'll have it in like a burrito bowl kind of thing mm-hmm. uh, you can do so many things with it yeah. it's delicious you can mash it up and make it into like a crust uh-huh. so how did you like discover I mean that's that's a lot of cauliflower rice to buy and that's intimate knowledge of Trader Joe's distribution patterns <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty intense I got really into cauliflower rice and trying to find healthy alternatives uh-huh. to rice and like caloric, uh, lighter caloric alternatives. Um, because I really like a lot of food. Mm-hmm. That is something I, I try to eat healthily, but I, I would rather have like the world's largest salad than a small hamburger. Right. Uh, I just eat a lot. And so mm-hmm. cauliflower rice, is a good filler uh-huh. and so I first discovered it on a whim while I was in Trader Joe's I uh-huh. knew of it and I was making it myself uh-huh. so I was grading cauliflower in my food processor uh-huh. very messy uh-huh. very time-consuming uh-huh. and I found and much more expensive 
Really? Because a head of cauliflower is like two twenty nine. Mm-hmm. This bag of rice is a dollar ninety nine. <laughs> so I was, it was a win win win. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how we kind of adopted it into the regular rotation. I'm fast. I like. I think I might have to stop my Trader Joe's on the way home. They can eat the alpha today. <laughs> but you should try and just go back first thing in the morning. Like, I'm here for your rights. And don't question me. They're like, really? You're going to take it off? <laughs> you know how many other people you're disappointing today? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't care. Yeah, this is your life. But yeah, you mentioned, so you lost 100 pounds? Yes, it's about 2005. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll be 11 years ago. I lost about 100 pounds. Wow. Mm-hmm. Through starting my senior year of high school and then yeah. kind of wavering when I was in college, you know, up and down. It's mm-hmm. hard. Uh, yeah, and, it's extremely hard. And then grad school, I trying to be pretty healthy, but just trying to get into the rhythm of a lot of studying and not a lot of time for getting physical or active. Mm-hmm. And then when I was in, I spent a summer in Ireland mm-hmm. between my uh, second and third year of seminary at Duke. And I was just blown away by the fact that I ate terribly while I was there. Mm-hmm. You know, I ate the richest food. Um, mm-hmm. And when I say terribly, I mean just rich food. Right. Everyone it's very expensive to eat out in Europe. Mm -hmm. So everyone invites you into their home Mm -hmm. because groceries in Europe are super cheap Mm -hmm. because everything's so local. I mean, buy Irish was a huge movement while I was there Mm -hmm. and everybody pretty much cooks pretty wholesome uh, meals if they can, because it's so much cheaper, you know, the opposite for here is cheap. I mean, it's faster and cheaper to buy processed, Um, but there it's actually, I think cheaper to, to make your food. And so I was invited into so many homes. I was serving as a pastoral intern mm-hmm. and eating delicious home cooked food. And then, uh, that had been made by the people who live there. And I, uh, wouldn't eat these rich desserts. And I was walking a lot around town. Mm-hmm. And when I got home, I hadn't lost any weight, but for the first time I hadn't gained any. Yeah. So I was like, Whoa, they're onto something here. <laughs> right. So the last year of seminary really committed, like this was last year, I could be really selfish with my time. I could really get in my gym time. I could, I was making food just for myself. And so I really committed to cooking cleaner mm-hmm. and being physical every day. And so I lost the last 40 to 50 pounds in that final year of grad school. Wow. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's such a huge, like, thing to like commit yourself to because I, in my personal trials with weight loss it's always been like I can do this for a few months and then I I feel really good about it and I know that I'm like taking care of myself and then the holidays happen or I I'm at whatever it is I don't want to keep trying it is it's hard I mean that I've maintained a pretty uh pretty consistent weight since the spring of 2012. Mm -hmm. And I would say that it is the hardest part of, uh, of kind of, you know, going through the day. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. always in front of you. It's constant. We all love it. Mm -hmm. Uh, food is delicious and, uh, exercising is usually the worst. And so, uh, I mean, it is that commitment. I say the only the only things that have really worked for me are allowing myself to create a space that um, makes me feel normal. I mean, mm-hmm. to lose that much weight, you limited, I limited myself of so many social activities. I had right. real social anxiety. 
And I mean, it did become somewhat problematic. You know, mm-hmm. I, I have been diagnosed with disordered eating mm-hmm. and that's a really vague term for somebody who just has compulsive thoughts about food, which mm-hmm. uh, everybody's like, oh, I have compulsive thoughts about food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but like constant compulsive thoughts, like what am I going to eat? What am I going to eat next? Like, what did I just eat? How many calories are in that? What is going to happen next? Like, am I going to, so mm-hmm. I did go through therapy to kind of process and scale back those thoughts and come to a healthier mindset around food. Mm-hmm. And I'd say that's been really hard, yeah. but, but being really graceful toward myself and reminding myself constantly that this is for life. Mm-hmm. So today in light of the bigger picture, mm-hmm. uh, today is one day in your life. And if you can just do, if you know, you, you didn't do what you wanted to do at breakfast, don't throw the day away. Mm-hmm. You know, you can still make better choices, but often we're just like, no, throw away the day, throw away the week, throw away the month, the year. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's exactly. Keep going. So. I was like, well, I've already messed up today, so I might as well mm-hmm. fully exactly. just, uh, throw in the towel. Um, yeah, I think um, I think that that is that shifting how you think about food and your relationship with food, like, is a really challenging like empowering thing that is amazing to me like how would you like what does the phrase like relationship with food like how do you think about that my relationship with food now Mm -hmm. is I think about food in a much different way Mm -hmm. like you know food and I'm aware that I handle my emotions via food mm-hmm. that, that awareness in and of itself is I think really helpful to have mm-hmm. uh and so when I think about food now it's a lot about setting myself up for success mm-hmm. so preparing my food making sure I have what I need to not mm-hmm. at, at night that's really hard mm-hmm. so I um try to have things on hand that will hopefully uh, derail my desire to like, eat all of the orange flavored chipsy rolls that I have. In my <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think one thing I've noticed, like it, I tried Weight Watchers and I've hit South Beach and I've in, at different points in my life when I think I felt like I need to make the effort to be healthy. And at other times I, I felt fine not doing that. It just sort of shifting both like body image and feelings of it. I like to think about, I'm like post-college, I tried to change how I thought about my body and what I ate as capability. Mm. What Am I able to do all the things I want to do? If I'm not, I need to change so that I'm more capable. But I don't want to, that's how I try to frame it so that I'm making myself able um, I'm empowering myself to do things that I'm excited about, things that make me feel good. And I think Mm -hmm. that's right on target. I mean, I think so many people who struggle with food, uh, if it's inhibiting your ability to live your best life, which I hate that kind of phrase, (laughs) but um, but like mm -hmm. who you want to be, if that person, um, if that involves making a shift because your relationship with food is unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Like my relationship with food was unhealthy mm-hmm. uh, and I needed to clean that up. Mm-hmm. And I think it is a painful process when you try to 
deconstruct and work through any unhealthy relationship. Yeah. It takes a long time. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of hope in the fact that you can rebuild it mm -hmm. and you can like put trust back in it. Like mm -hmm. I trust food. Yeah. I do to keep me alive and do things. Mm -hmm. Um, and food and I will always be lifelong besties, but uh, <laughs> yeah. now we're not in some toxic, you know, uh, lover's quarrel, um, <laughs> and it's not going to end tragically in divorce, and we're going to have to tell, you know, our brownies that uh, it wasn't their fault. So. Okay. Um, one thing I did, I have noticed, like, is I've, like, per when I've purposely changed, uh, like, my diet, was that I discovered things I didn't realize that I really loved, like discovering cauliflower rice. But like, what are the things that you didn't, that you have like discovered that are, that you didn't, weren't aware of before? Things that you like and aren't saying? Oh, I fruits and vegetables in general. <laughs> I, I think that's so, it's, it's tragic to think that because we were such a large family as mm -hmm. children, like we couldn't really afford to buy pounds of strawberries or you know I remember being so excited when grapes were 99 cent a pound at Food Lion <laughs> uh -huh. because that mean that meant we were getting them that week uh -huh. um and because fruit is expensive uh -huh. uh, and it still breaks my heart to think that there are so many people uh even now who mm -hmm. in our community who can't afford to eat healthily right. um and won't and haven't discovered a love for fresh food. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I kind of now, um, me and my husband are both, you know, really lucky to have full-time jobs mm -hmm. and we're able to buy raspberries. Yeah. Um, and I love raspberries and I don't think I had a raspberry until I was over 18. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, because raspberries are expensive. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, fruits and vegetables in general, uh, I love, good coffee mm -hmm. and enjoying that and mm -hmm. kind of splurging on it um, sometimes too much. Uh, also being creative and being able to fail in the kitchen, like when you're growing up with 10 kids to feed, mm -hmm. there can be no failure, right. right? We can't afford to throw this meal out. Mm -hmm. So we can trust that stoppers is going to be good every time. Right. So there's not a lot of experimentation or anything in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. And I, have the luxury now of being able to do that more mm -hmm. and so that's been fantastic yeah i was thinking about raspberries i worked for a summer up, up in the mountains of this folk school where i traded working in their garden for being able to take art classes at the john c campbell folk school beautiful wonderful that's place. cool it was great um but i was saying in the summer and they had just rows of raspberry uh raspberry vines and bushes. I guess they're bushes, but they're kind of viney bushes. Um, and all morning would be like harvesting lettuce and bending over rows of vegetables. And like, when it's cooler outside, we would do all the like hard labor stuff where you're up and down and dragging things and lifting a lot. And by the end of the day, mid afternoon, we would all be so tired, and it was summer in North Carolina, and even in the mountains, that is hot Ooh, and humid. Yeah. Uh, so we'd get to just like strap these little buckets on, around our waist and go into the raspberry patch and just pick raspberries standing up for the rest of the afternoon, just like the last hour of every day was just raspberry picking, which was magical because it's like 
one raspberry in the bucket, two raspberries in the mouth. Like, They'd be like, Corey, have you done nothing wrong? <laughs> uh, I have these five raspberries in my bucket and a red mouth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That's pretty, I actually have some in my fridge right now, and mm. I've been thinking about them all morning. <laughs> um, but you mentioned that you spent some time in Ireland, and you were working there as, like, part of a ministry? Yeah, so this is crazy. In 2009, I went with my family on a nine-day tour of Ireland, mm-hmm. which is super fun and incredible. Um, there were a lot less kids in the house, so... <laughs> Uh, we were moving up. No, just kidding. Uh, and so we got to go on this amazing Irish tour. And when we um, were in Killarney, Ireland, it happened to be December 31st. Mm-hmm. And Killarney is a beautiful city in the southwest. And we happened to be staying at the uh, this hotel in the center of town that was adjacent to a small Methodist church. Mm-hmm. And as we came out of our hotel, we noticed they had a teeny tiny white sign that said, Watch Night Service this mm-hmm. evening. And... I had already decided that I was going to go to seminary, and I'm a, I'm Methodist, and so my parents were like, "We should we should go." And we were like, "Yeah, we should." Mm-hmm. And uh, we tried to go downtown for a little while that evening, um, and then a door flew through the window, or a chair flew through the window of one of the bars. Oh, we're like, boy. all right, let's go find mom and dad uh, <laughs> yeah. back at the hotel. So we did, and we went to Killarney uh, Methodist Church for their watch night service, and. It was so funny because the pastor played the guitar and he preached and it was like a one man show with uh-huh. 20 people in the circle and they were so hospitable to us. And mm-hmm. we had the best time and we all had tea and biscuits afterwards. And then we took a picture of the front and left, uh-huh. went on our journey. So a couple of years later, we were flipping through pictures, just reminiscing, and we found this picture with the phone number of the church on it. Oh, and my mom and dad were like, you know you should call them and see if they need some help. Cause I was now in year two of seminary trying to become a pastor. And I was like, you guys are silly. And they're like, no, you should. And I'm like, maybe I should. Mm-hmm. And so I Skype called that number and an old man picked up the phone. And was like, hello. And I was like, are you Lawrence Graham? And he said, yeah. And I was like, are you pastor of Clarny Methodist? He goes, no, you're thinking of my son. I'll be <laughs> back tomorrow. So I called back the next day and that started some conversations. And three months later, I ended up in Clarny, Ireland for three months. Wow. So what, I am always curious when people spend like a lot of time abroad, what food they really miss from home and when they get back home, what food they really miss from where they were staying. Because you can't always get everything in either place. Absolutely. Definitely the number one thing I missed Mm -hmm. from being in America Mm -hmm. uh, was just getting like a straight up normal, what I consider a normal latte. Mm -hmm. Uh, They still use instant coffee. Like you you dump it in a bottle of a cup. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, That hasn't been popular since my dad was in corporate business (laughs) in the 80s. Um, My dad's like, oh, I know lots about instant coffee. It's great. I was like, yeah. At 5 a.m. like in an office. Uh-huh. Um, so definitely just in every latte is somehow destroyed. Like they don't know how to make it or it has too much espresso or it's real. Like mm-hmm. it's an actual how a real latte is supposed to be. <laughs> and I am not interested in that. Uh, I just want a delicious Starbucks uh, tall, skinny, cinnamon dolce latte, extra hot no-co. All right. Yeah. You got to know what you want. That's exactly what I wanted. Nowhere to be found in Ireland. Um, and then I guess when I got home, uh, the first thing I missed was just, uh, this is really weird, toast with chopped up 
hard-boiled eggs drizzled with fresh honey. Oh. It's so good. And my host family would make it for me like on the weekends because I just thought it was so delicious. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the wholesome food I miss. Mm-hmm. The not wholesome food I miss, which mm-hmm. I occasionally discover a care package in the mail from one of my parishioners, uh-huh. uh, are salt and vinegar hula hoops, uh-huh. uh, delicious chip, and uh-huh. um, Cadbury mini buns. Ooh. They're like that... small medallions of delicious chocolate. But Cadbury. So good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I um, in college I did a study abroad in Greece, mm. which is great. I lived in Athens for about four months, and I I found the food. Well, the food. It's funny that the food that I missed was like not a particularly American food. It was all the non-American food in America. Yeah. So like in Greece, almost I feel like as an outsider. All you can find is Greek food, which is delicious, but it's just a lot of the same cuisine. And I was like, but I'm used to eating like Indian and Chinese and Thai food and Mexican food and like having a million options. And I'm sure I could have found other options. Like there's a lot of different nationalities that live in Greece, but as someone who didn't know their way around, I didn't know how to seek that out. So it's like either I eat Greek food there is a weird Domino's <laughs> that delivers on a motorbike. And all they put on the pizza is down on all. And then there was a Thai delivery restaurant that had flan on the dessert menu. And I was like, I don't trust this. I'm, what is this? No matter what you would have found, it would have been disappointing in comparison to whatever Americans. Yeah, have. it's not what I'm thinking of. Whether what I'm thinking of is technically like real authentic Thai food, it's definitely not what this place is serving. When you first arrived, you're like, this isn't Greek food, people. (laughs) Come on. I know what that's like. Why isn't this, why isn't this hero filled with weird strips of ground up meat that are real flat? Do you even know about this food? Yeah, everything is like shaved, shaved meat off like a spit, which is really wonderful and delicious, but not at all what I was used to. My favorite thing was we did eat all of our meals in house and mm-hmm. with my host family, but my favorite night and I never had the uh, courage to correct them. But they'd be like, Corey, tonight we're gonna have fajitas. They were British. Oh. They, were not, they were not Irish, they were British host family. Mm-hmm. But like, we're gonna have fajitas. Do you like them? And I was like, <laughs> Yeah, I love fajitas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's really true. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, you mentioned like the uh, when you went to the church that they served you tea um, after you sat through the service. What have you found is like the relationship between food and the church, or food and ministry? Like, oh, it yeah. it goes so deep. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm Methodist, so um, all you have to do to get to heaven is bring a covered dish. <laughs> um, that's that's uh, that is. That's official, and I think it may be in the Bible. Um, <laughs> but uh, in Ireland, I think it's even worse because uh, the person, and this was just recently on NPR, but mentioned when actually like afternoon tea was invented, that somebody uh-huh. thought you should eat biscuits with your tea in the afternoon. Uh-huh. It's like not, has not always been. Uh-huh. Like, thank God for that person. Yeah. <laughs> because it's transformed every cup of tea and coffee since <laughs> that. Uh, but I remember going and visiting families while we were in, in Ireland, um, 
and every house we went to was ready. Mm -hmm. uh, and there was this one day where we had a visit at like 11.30 and then one at one, mm -hmm. and both families had made us lunch. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget <laughs> Lawrence uh, giving me this eye roll, like this, this glance over it, like, mm -hmm. just eat it. <laughs> like, second lunch is happening. Like, yeah. no questions asked, you eat that second lunch, yeah. which is followed by a third tea oh, and um, yeah. all wrapped up with a nice dinner. Mm -hmm. uh, so, people love people in the church with food, and mm -hmm. I think that that's beautiful and I love it. Sometimes they love their pastors, unfortunately, too much with it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's, it's always been that kind of, uh, and that's from very early. I worked in a lot of rural churches in North Carolina mm -hmm. where your, your bartering system is food. Mm -hmm. You garden and you cook and you bake. And so when you need to show the pastor that you're thankful for them, you don't mm -hmm. have a love offering to give. Your love mm -hmm. offering is your great-grandmother's apple pie recipe. Yeah. And so that showed up um, all the time on my doorstep. You know, mm -hmm. I'll get a bag of corn mm -hmm. over my hung on my doorknob mm -hmm. as an intern in Lexington, North Carolina. Um, and those were wonderful memories, wonderful mm -hmm. moments. Uh, and actually, the, the pastor that I worked with in Lexington, he, uh, he was a cook before he became a pastor. Mm -hmm. And so it was all about food. Mm -hmm. um, and, and people connect over that. It's their mm -hmm. shared memory, and uh, and I love that about the church. Yeah, absolutely. I I grew up in a Presbyterian church, and my father's family was Methodist. Uh, and I do feel like a lot of, there's a lot of, the big memories are, like, going on Wednesday nights to the church, and they'd have a big, like, a big dinner for everyone to like in the middle of the week to come. And I mean, there'd be other activities like for kids and Bible studies for adults, but it, they never didn't feed everyone. Um, but that was always sort of a big community. Always have lots of I think that not to get too theological, but mm -hmm. I mean, that's because that's what Jesus did. Mm -hmm. I mean, he fed the crowd and the last thing he did on this earth before uh, you know, we know the Easter story, but mm -hmm. beforehand is he broke bread with his friends. Mm -hmm. Like the centerpiece of our faith, right? Was as obsessed with food as we are. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I think that that's a really faithful interpretation for us to mm -hmm. want to gather around in a meal to connect with, with people who share our belief. Yeah, I think it's it's communal. It's a way to share time, and I think it's also uh, I see it a lot as like if you don't know what to do. For someone, you cook for them. Like if someone's going through a hard time, or if you just want to contribute in some way, like big a big event, I don't know what to do. I'm going to sign up to bring a casserole, or what do I do with my hands? I think there's a big desire to always be helpful and always be contributing in any sort of church community that I've ever been part of. Yeah, I mean, it's the currency of so many exchanges. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think to myself, like, when would you get together with someone when you wouldn't have the crutch of, like, let's meet for coffee? Right. Uh, or, you know, let's grab brunch. Or mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had in eighth grade when I was going through the confirmation process, they give you an adult mentor in the church, at least in the church that I went to, that you're sort of paired with someone to talk to about the process. And any time that I ever met, met with her was 
let's go to the diner and get hot dogs and talk about jackpot. <laughs> yeah, talk about your Bible study. <laughs> you told your mentor friend or your the friends in your confirmation class, well, let's go to the diner, and they're like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so that's like how this huge community of people share food. But what do you eat if you have a night totally alone? Just you. Okay. Yeah. Couple, a couple of things <laughs> come to mind. Um, if it's just, this is, re I'm really devastated because I could have a quick answer, but that answer is no longer valid because our, my beloved Las Petrellas that's closed in Chapel Hill. Oh, yeah. So if it was, if I was going out and it was just a night by myself, I might get the uh, fajitas <laughs> and save some of them. Uh -huh. uh, if Tiago was here, of course, we'd split them. But uh -huh. it was my absolute favorite. Um, yeah. But if I'm just cooking for myself mm -hmm. and I'm feeling good, uh -huh. uh, yeah. um, sometimes it will just end up being orange-flavored Tootsie Rolls out of a bag. But mm -hmm. I typically make... Uh, I like to make a little homemade pizza. Uh -huh. I make pizzas a lot. Yeah. Uh, but I also will make a good like egg scramble because that's easy, healthy, and delicious. Mm -hmm. So those are my, usually I just want to watch TV, so I try to make something fast. But if I'm home by myself mm -hmm. and I'm making it for myself, those are my two go-tos. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, sometimes, though, if you just have a bowl of candy, then he's going to sit with his candy. <laughs> and then the pile of wrappers starts to build. <laughs> and what do you make for yourself? I need ideas. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I did recently have a birthday party that's theme was just bring candy. <laughs> it was the same weekend as Easter. I knew everyone would be able to find it. I wanted to leave with the collection. Um, but I also, yeah, I recently, just last week, made a pizza. For, like a, I like to go and get, that you can get the dough pre-made either at a pizza shop or at most grocery stores. Like, you can get it from the pizza shop? Yeah, if you go to a lot of... I don't do this as much because it's easy, but I'm at the grocery store anyway. But if you go to a lot of pizza restaurants and ask for just a ball of raw dough, you can buy it there. If there's a place where you really like their dough, you should ask if they do that. I'm very impressed right yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> found food knowledge. Yeah. But go and get the raw dough ball so I don't have to figure that out or use the terrible fruits and cardboard dough. And... But I like to put a lot of pesto Ooh. and like pancetta and goat cheese. That's usually my go-to. That's and some sort of greener. Like after it's baked, I'll put either like arugula or basil on top. So I'm like, it has green stuff on it. <laughs> it's there's vegetables. That's very fancy. Mm -hmm. Which makes me think of I think I've heard somewhere that you make some killer popcorn. Yes, but well, I mean. I talk about it a lot. <laughs> I I like to I really like to make popcorn on the stove because I there's been many times in my life when I haven't had a microwave and I don't have That's one right. of those little it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, leftovers is the main problem with not having a microwave. It's real tricky not to burn things <laughs> and to also reheat them. But uh, that meant that if I want popcorn, I had to like put it in a pot and shake it on mm -hmm. the stove. And when you're already doing that, and there's no toppings on it, so you're already like melting butter to put on it, you just start adding other things. 
So I really like to um, sort of make myself like a massive bowl, a bowl big enough for like four or five people of popcorn. Yeah, that's for one. Yeah, I'm absolutely. On when it comes to popcorn, I'm on the same page. It's just like it's it's air mostly. It's popped. It's full of fluff. Exactly. Um, but then I'll add some sort of cheese and some sort of spice usually. Mm. My favorite is goat cheese and Cajun spice. Ooh. Recently did Gruyere and Garam Masala spice. It's like a little different and exciting. But and then lots of lots of melted butter. I'm very impressed right now. I can't mm-hmm. even wow. I'm I, I'm a huge popcorn fan, but mm-hmm. I let other people do it and I'm not brave enough to try myself. Mm-hmm. So I'm obsessed with the popcorn shop in Durham. Oh yeah. Uh, the, well, also for my birthday, a friend that knows me very well gave me a subscription service for uh, Amish popcorn kernels. So they Ooh. send some Amish popcorn distributor. So they're different colors. Yeah, there was a little. There's black kernels, and then small hullless kernels are the ones that I've gotten so far. That sounds like a Halloween night. <laughs> yeah, I I'm gonna have so many. I mean, it's gonna take me years to get through all the popcorn that I have. Unless I really dedicate myself. I love it. Um, but I'm sure Pinterest could help you out with my homemade popcorn. I should, yeah. Yeah, That's just like boiled eggs. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, but it's been so great to talk to you. Uh, we like to end with, is there something that you like to say before you eat a blessing or a toast that uh, you say or you've heard others say? You know, well, there is really, so when you have a huge group of people about to bless a meal who mm-hmm. like to talk, and uh, who um, like the sound of their own voices. We often, uh, we do, and I went through a lot of church camps, so I was often saying blessings with a lot of people, Mm -hmm. and we would bring those home. Mm -hmm. So kind of our standard uh, blessing at a big meal now is a song, Uh Uh, and uh, it goes a little something like, (laughs) go for it. (laughs) God is great, God is good. Let us thank him for our good. Thank him morning, noon, and night. We're gonna thank him because he's out of sight. Amen. 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 Amazing. I also went to church. You did go to church too. Thank you so much, Corey. This has been great. Let me get the popcorn. Yes, absolutely. Clarified Butter is produced by Ashley Melzer and me, Amy Allen. This episode features additional audio production from Nick Vandenberg. To learn more about our guests and about us, visit clarifiedbuttershow.com or keep the conversation going on Twitter and Instagram at ClarifiedB. And by all means, don't forget to hit subscribe. Until next time, eat what you like and say thank you.